Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast. I'm Cody Fields, the president of the Noseminster family of guitar effects. Check us out at westminstereffects.com and make sure you join the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. One more week, I think, until we get John back, hopefully. Uh, so, in his, well, not in his stead. I don't know where it's right now. I can't right replace now. John. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, nobody can replace his fans or replace out John. For his yeah, uh, but in, I'm still saying instead. With me is it's Bradley Cox, <laughs> pastor at Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina. Uh, so, so church on Sunday, or yes, yes. yesterday, as yesterday. we changed our our. Our recording schedule now. Yes, we're so, recording on Monday. So um, Romans eight, Romans eight. We um, we went from verses nine to how far did I get? Was it eighteen? I think I read that. to eighteen, but I don't think I got that far. Okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, we talked about uh, the title of my message was "How Can I Know That I'm a Child of God?" Mm-hmm. And we talked about Paul's emphasis on the children of God have been given the spirit. They're indwelt by the spirit. And the fruit of that indwelling is the leadership of the spirit to kill sin. Yep. And the, what, the way Paul describes it, this joint testimony that goes on between the spirit of God and my renewed spirit that I am a child of God. I've been adopted and by the spirit, I cry, Abba father. And so we talked about, you know, looking for assurance in our salvation, not in our performance, but in spiritual fruit. Right. And specifically the spiritual fruit of being led by the spirit to kill sin, not nurture it and being led by the spirit, prompted by the spirit, empowered by the spirit to, call to God as our father. And, mm-hmm. and the word there is so beautiful. Abba, you know, daddy, papa. That's a very intimate um, relationship between a child and a father. And so, um, yeah, that was the big point of the message is don't base your salvation assurance on your performance, but on the fruit of the spirit's work in your life. Because that's what Paul says is you are not in the flesh. I think this is verse nine. Mm -hmm. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. So you're not in Adam. You're not right. You're not living that condemned uh, life because of sin anymore. You're in Christ. And to be in Christ means you're indwelt by the spirit. Right. Uh, musically speaking, I had a weird day. It was hard for me to focus because as we talked about before we started recording is I have pink eye. (laughs) So I'm wearing, I'm wearing glasses and I have astigmatism. And when objects are closer, uh, because of the astigmatism and the glasses, some (laughs) objects appear curved that are not. So there were a couple times when I'm looking down at the neck on, on the bass that I was playing and it was curving. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and so I had to make extra sure that I was in the right spot. And there were a couple times I weren't. I wasn't in the right spot. For those of you who have not met Cody Fields <laughs> in person, <laughs> we are constantly on eggshells. <laughs> He's either going to blow out a knee, bang or, his head on something. Or an ankle. Or an ankle. Or he's going to get pink eye. It's just going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> but... My knees feel pretty okay right now, so I don't know what's happening. Um, so funny. But then then at the end of the service, yeah, uh, we kind of had some application 
of of killing sin and not nurturing it where our other pastor keith gets up and was supposed to do announcements yeah and then instead he was like hey statistics say like 90 percent of you are either looking at porn or lusting so how about we deal with that right now yeah it's just you know it's such a sweet thing that pastor keith brings to our church is that you know he's just not afraid to go after it you know i think it's uh it's a it's a in, in some form or another, I think it's a spiritual gift of his that he, you know, he got up at the end after I preached. Um, and he act, what's funny is he actually sent me a text. I'm, I'm, we're on opposite sides of the mm-hmm. auditorium. He sent me a text after I walked off the platform and, and you guys were doing the last song. Yeah. And my phone was, I think, in my wife's purse. And I had my I have an Apple watch and it was on silent. So I never saw it until after church. Oh, man. But the text read something to the effect of, um, I think we need to invite men down to, you know, repent of lust yeah. or something like that. And so I never saw it and I ne- I didn't know what he was going to do when he got up there, but he got up there and he's like, you know, hey, we just looked at the scripture and we see that the spirit leads us to mm-hmm. kill sin, not nurture it. Yeah. And so let's do it. Let's let's not just talk about mm-hmm. it. Let's let's actually go after it and take a step. And I thought it was powerful to see. I, I don't know. I mean, I think most of the men in the building. It was a lot of them. Yeah. Came to the front, um, knelt down, put their arms around each other, mm-hmm. um, prayed together. Um, and then our wives came up and yep. joined us stood beside us and my wife and Keith's wife actually led a prayer over the wives. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just, it was just powerful. I mean, I think moments like that are important and, you know, not every church maybe has what you might call an altar call or that kind of thing. But there is, there's something powerful about when we're gathered together as believers, we're worshiping to come and do that kind of corporate repentance. Mm-hmm. Because it reminds us, I think, how we fight. You know, we are, we talk about this a lot at Res. We're in a fight um, against sin. We fight against the flesh and the power of sin at work in the world. Um, and it was it was just awesome to see men get vulnerable, transparent, humble, yep. and recognizing they can't <laughs> fight this battle in their own strength. They're going to have to depend on the Spirit. Right, which then works itself out by relying on brothers in the church. Absolutely. Like you can't, yeah. you can't in, in any sin, it doesn't matter if it's lust or cheating on your taxes, even as libertarian as I am, that's something that I want to do all the time, uh, just for the record. <laughs> or Well, you're now, especially you're self-employed. You yeah, get it exactly, yeah. exactly. Or, uh, you know, flipping somebody off on the interstate or, mm-hmm. or whatever is, and I think you even mentioned that in your sermon, mm-hmm. is, um, but any of those uh, ultimately aren't going to be dealt with just individually mm-hmm. that ultimately needs to be dealt with corporately. And that doesn't mean before the entire church, but within yeah. the context of the body of Christ. Um, mm-hmm. I mentioned on, on, I was on a, on the worship cast, some guys who record over in Welford. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was talking about the body of Christ a little bit. And there's different parts where you've got hearts and lungs, but you also have kidneys that help you filter stuff out mm-hmm. and livers that help deal with toxins. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the function of the body yeah. is, hey, let's let's kill the sin. Yeah, so, yeah uh, that's a good analogy. Yeah,
today um there was an there's been some online exchanges between matt walsh of i think he's with the blaze now correct i think that's right right. i think um so matt walsh and cyten brugenkate uh brugenkate being the uh renowned presuppositional apologist the guy is brilliant where he wrote a blog kind of against a YouTube video that Walsh put out. We'll put links in the show notes if you want to investigate all that yourself. Uh, but what caught your attention was a string of tweets that Matt Walsh put out mm-hmm. that Bruggenkate was also responding to. Do you want to kind of read through those and we can respond and all that kind of good stuff? Yeah, so Matt Walsh tweeted, um, he said, on Sunday, on the Sunday special with Ben Shapiro, uh, I made the point that Christians should not cite the Bible when arguing about cultural issues with people who don't believe in the Bible. I've sustained a fair amount of criticism for this point, which I thought was rather obvious. And then he goes on to say that in order to persuade someone, you have to connect with them on a level they understand and use arguments they find convincing. If you appeal to an authority that they do not think is an authority, your argument will succeed in making you look pious, but it will fail to persuade. So that just there's there's some other things that I'll read in a minute, but those two tweets there there are some things that I cautiously agree with. Sure. If, if I could say it that way. Um, for one thing, um, I agree with Walsh that when you are having a conversation, an argument, debate, discussion uh, with an unbeliever, mm-hmm. um, I think it's, what, what's the word here? Um, it's, it's prudent. It's, well, uh, no, I, I was going to say something negative. It's, oh, it's oh, not... Oh. Um, it's not reasonable sure. to expect an unbeliever to line up with you under the authority of Scripture. Right. So if you come at them in a discussion about, you know, abortion, immigration, uh, transgender. Uh, which he, which he, he mentions, in, mentions in the he next mentioned these things specifically. Tweets. If you come at them quoting chapter and verse. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not that I th- I don't think, you know, Paul says in Colossians, the word of God bears fruit and increases wherever it goes. So I think there are times when we should be bold as we are led by the spirit to just proclaim the word. Mm-hmm. You know, when the word preaching in scripture is really it, what it describes is a proclamation, a heralding. Hey, here's the news. And you think of Peter at Pentecost. You know, when the questions were raised about, you know, those in the upper room uh, praying in tongues and they were hearing them in their own language and, and, you know, some thought they were drunk or whatever, Peter just stands up and he doesn't have a discussion with them. He doesn't have a debate with them, Mm -hmm. but he just declares this is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. Yep. Here it is. And 3000 repented. So there Mm -hmm. is the word of God just going forth, drawing men and women to Christ and and them repenting of their sins. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I do think there are, I think we see in Jesus's earthly ministry, 
times where he, when talking with people who didn't believe, didn't know who he was, uh, you know, maybe weren't familiar with the Old Testament scriptures, he used parables. He used mm-hmm. real life things to talk about biblical truth. Um, and so in that sense, I would maybe agree with Walsh that that there might be a time and a place in conversation where quoting chapter and verse isn't going to necessarily help you um, as opposed to talking about truth that's rooted in scripture in a way that maybe people could understand. Am yeah. I making sense on that? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, th- there's a lot of nuance here to kind of, to kind of work through like, yes, we have to speak on a level that they can understand. Yeah. If I'm talking to someone like Richard Dawkins, I can necessarily use much bigger words than a 16 year old who claims to be an atheist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Uh, like I can use bigger concepts, but at the same, at the same time, uh, like, yes, we argue from truth. All truth is God's truth. Right. So if I'm, if I'm in a discussion with someone who is pro abortion, uh, mm-hmm. I can, I can very quickly say, no, that's a person. Uh, it's just smaller, more dependent. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what are the other ones? It's, it's in a different location than you would normally see a person, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, since they're still inside the womb, etc. So all those things are still true. Yeah. Um, but they are rooted mm. in in scripture and scriptural right. truth, and we can get to that in a second. Let's get through these these other tweets and then kind of okay. tie everything together. Really. So, so then he goes on to say, um, in order to cite the Bible, you must first establish it as an authority, which is a completely different argument and not one that needs to be injected into a discussion of abortion, immigration, transgenderism, etc. I'm still cautiously tracking with him right there. Um, But then he goes on, if you insist on quoting the Bible in an argument with non-believers, you are essentially deciding that every argument must be a theological argument. You have sworn off logic, reason, and science as authorities altogether. This again may make you look pious, but you will never persuade anyone of anything ever, period. And you also make Christianity look like an utterly irrational religion filled with people who cannot grasp any concept or make any case or any point without quoting Bible verses. That Those last few statements are where I think this just comes completely off the rails. Yes. Yes. Uh, Side 10 Bruggenkate made a, a pretty interesting point in this blog that we, as I said, we've linked to in the show notes. Um says, imagine if someone were to attack Matt and his family and Matt pointed a gun at the attacker. Now imagine that the attacker shouted, I don't believe in your gun. (laughs) Does anyone think that Matt would worry about the extra step of getting the attacker to believe that his gun was real? Yeah. Uh, Would Matt throw down his weapon based on the objection of his attacker? Of course not. Mm. Yet that is exactly what Mr. Walsh says that we should do that he would do when arguing with a person who didn't believe the Bible. He would discard his authority. How, it, how good of an illustration is that? That's <laughs> absolutely right. It's perfect. I mean, how can you... It, 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 if Matt is, to me, feels like he's talking out of both sides of his mouth because he says, he asks, you know, um, in an indirect way, he asks a really good question to start with. How can we expect unbelievers to act like believers. 
We can't. Right. We cannot, uh, you know, leverage over them or, or expect to have a tit-for-tat debate or discussion mm-hmm. about something when we're launching from an authority that they don't accept as an authority. Mm-hmm. All right? So I cannot expect an unbeliever to behave like a believer. By all means. At the same time, he is essentially saying that when we have discussions, this is the way I'm reading it, when we have discussions about abortion, immigration, transgenderism, etc., um, that believers should then behave like unbelievers. Right. Or that we should discard our authority, our ultimate authority. We should discard the fact that as Christians, our worldview is a theologically based worldview. Yes. So everything. And, you, and you really said, every worldview is theologically based. That's, that's right. That's right. That's right. Even even if someone denies the existence of God or, you know, ascribes to some form of deism, like, uh, like what Ben Franklin uh, ascribed to, like everything is informed by what you believe about God. Mm-hmm. And if God has revealed himself clearly mm-hmm. and what he commands you to do, well, then if that God is real, then ultimately we're all bound by it right that's right that's right and and this is this is permeating you know our not only the it's it's the dominant thought in the in the you know secular culture but i think i i see this kind of thinking permeating the church absolutely and, uh, it just reminds me of the book of jude where jude writes and says you know um there, there are there are things, there are ideas and philosophies that have crept in unnoticed into the church, mm. and this this whole thing of leveling the playing field between theological arguments and then just logic, human logic, reason, science, um, as he almost talks about those things as equal authorities. Yeah, and that is so dangerous and devastating. For the Christian to think that way, right? Like nobody is nobody is saying that logic, reason, and science aren't authorities. No, but they're subservient. That's exactly it's, right. It's just like any kind of creed or confession in the exactly. Christian faith is they're all subservient to Scripture, just like logic, reason, and science yeah. are all subservient. And honestly, you don't have this is the presuppositional argument. You don't have logic and reason or science without Christianity. Yeah. Because in Christ are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Right. We know things because, because God wants us to know things. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, it was Christians who develops this, bleh, who developed the scientific method. Exactly. exactly. That's kind of a big deal. Exactly. Like, we don't want to act. We want to act like Christianity has always been this backwards, uh, kind of backwoods, ignorant, uh, belief system, but it was Christianity that led to the heliocentric, the sun-centric model of the solar system in the first place. Mm-hmm. Sorry, flat earthers, you're wrong. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, we we can't lay down scripture as our final authority, and and I don't know if we want to get into this or not, but it's it's worth mentioning that Matt Walsh is Roman Catholic. And so ultimate in an ultimate sense, they don't believe that scripture is the ultimate authority. They in real practice, they they say that scripture and tradition are their yeah. ultimate authorities, but yeah. really it turns into tradition being their ultimate authority. That's right. Is is that worth exploring a little bit to an extent? Yeah, I mean 
I, I don't. Because, and I say that because not just to talk, you know, rip on Rome, but we can do that too. We can. We, we've always done it that way. We've we never done it that way before. Right. Etc. Yeah. Well, it, you know, I'll give you an example. I mean, I have a friend who is, he's Protestant or he has been. Um, and, but he grew up in a similar tradition, um, to me and, uh, you know, I, I've talked about it at, with our church before is that, you know, for a long, long time, my tradition is what really determined how I thought mm-hmm. about everything related to God and spirituality and, uh, salvation, uh, my understanding of the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It, it was really informed by tradition rather than my own reading of scripture. And we've talked about before, you know, in Acts when, you know, the, the Bereans are mentioned uh, and how he, when they heard the Apostle Paul preach, they searched the scriptures themselves to see if these mm-hmm. things were so. And they were more noble because of it. They were more noble because of it. When Jesus met the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they were prevented from seeing him, recognizing mm-hmm. him. And then he does a Bible study with them. He goes back through all the Old Testament scriptures to yeah. show them why the all these things that ha- just have happened to him mm-hmm. uh, m- were prophesied and are rooted in scripture. So uh, Sola Scriptura is it's definitely the place you and I launch from. Mm-hmm. And But this friend of mine, is he has shirked his tradition. Mm-hmm. At this point in his life, yeah. okay, he has shirked his tradition because he it has left him wanting, and I totally get that. Mm-hmm. And so I've had a few phone conversations with him where he's, you know, just said to me, you know, I, I've just I'm done with the church, I'm done with religion, I, 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 you know, and he lists all these grievances. He's got a long list of just grievances and letdowns from tradition, religion, and his church experience, mm-hmm. and I totally get that, right. But then what I tried to do with him on the phone was have a discussion with him about biblical truth. And he didn't want to go there. Mm -hmm. And now I see posts and things from him on social media, like I saw one the other day that said, you know, I'm loving Jesus for whom I perceive him to be. Oh, boy. Yeah. And that just made me nauseous, if I'm honest with you. It's rife with postmodern tradition. Postmodern tradition. So a lot of times what happens is when people start, when people's theological understanding uh, and their worldview is anchored to tradition mm-hmm. or human logic, science, yep. reason, yep. whatever, then what happens is we, we, we fail to, or we, or we, we cease to have an ultimate authority. Right. We cease to have an ultimate. It all becomes subjective. It all becomes subjective. And so that's where we are. We all know that we, you know, that's, that, that is the dominant thought in our culture. And so when, you know, Catholicism, you know, every, every, you know, we have a lot of former Catholics in our church Mm -hmm. and every one of them, every one of them, I've had conversations with them. Um, they, what, what, has totally changed their lives is coming to a church where the scripture is put forth as the ultimate authority, not a tradition, right. not a methodology, not an idea, philosophy, a logic or whatever. It's the, the authority of scripture is what informs everything that we do. Yep. And that's what believers do. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, now we can, there, there's a lot of directions we can go with there, but to, to, to bring it back home to this Matt Walsh thing, this is what believers do. And for Matt Walsh to insinuate that Christians, believers, should put all these other things on equal playing field with the authority of Scripture, right. or that we should set biblical truth aside altogether, I might agree with Matt that maybe I don't quote chapter and verse with an unbeliever. At least right off the bat. Right off the bat. But I am going to launch from biblical truth because that's what Christians do. Right. And and I think it needs to be said, We, you know, we were kind of talking about this beforehand. We were kind of planning out where this was going to go, is that if we're talking to an unbeliever, the ultimate goal is not for them to become pro-life or right. or agree with us on immigration or whatever the sexual revolution is saying this week about what their preferred gender is. Right. Um, it's it's to proclaim the gospel to them, let them know that we actually give a crap about where they're going to end up eternally. Yeah. And that necessarily means that you're going to have to at least reference scripture um, as the authority yeah. because that's how we know about these things. Yeah. Uh, God doesn't just kind of float down and implant <laughs> the knowledge of scripture and you, you get what I'm saying. Like yeah. he does write the law in our hearts, but mm. it's not the super mystical thing. It's in a book. That's right. That's um, right. and that's how we know it. Um, so what we, what we have to do in these discussions and it, and we have to leave room for this occurring over time too, mm. because there may be times with relatives or friends or Facebook friends or whatever, where they just get angry and quit discussing the topic with you. That's right. Um, but at least over time, if not in that discussion itself, we need to say, well, I believe this because right. And present the gospel. That's right. It's, it's really kind of basic Christianity when you boil it down. That's right. And, and there, you know, we, you and I both come from a reformed perspective. Um, and you know, there, there is a point where I think we're not the judge of men's hearts, right? Right. You know, whether or not you believe in election and predestination or not, I think most Calvinists and Arminianists would agree that it is ultimately God who has to change the human heart. Right. Um, we might disagree on, on maybe how it gets the there. cart and the yeah. horse there, but ultimately God has to change the human heart. And so if that's the case, there is a point at which in all of these discussions, like you say, it for us, it must lead to a gospel proclamation at some point. And in that gospel proclamation, we do have to adopt a attitude of, well, he who has ears to hear will hear. Right. Not in a, you know, insensitive, I don't care about this person kind of way. Mm -hmm. We're, 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 we're broken hearted over the lost, but yet we recognize that we're ultimately dependent on God to change hearts, not our ability to convince people that the Bible is an authority or that, that uh, theological truth is the ultimate truth. You know, it, it's, it's not our, I, I don't think the it, it, Christians should think that we, we've got to have our guns loaded to the point where we can be so convincing ourselves that people are going to listen to us. Yes, mm -hmm. read and be informed and, and study. Yes, I'm all for that. But there, there's also got to be a dependence on the Holy Spirit. Because yeah, Paul even said that he wasn't that great of a preacher. No, he wasn't. And the Corinthians thought he looked kind of puny. 
Right. And that his presenta- or his preaching was kind of puny. And by the way, he wrote <laughs> how much two, of the New Testament. Two-thirds. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and real quick, how do, we, how do we apply this to worship leading? Hmm. Because what, what I often see in, in the online discussions is, well, I don't really care what the Bible says. I don't really care what God says about, about how he desires to be worshipped or anything like that. He's, what, what works is, mm. is kind of this pragmatism has seeped in in a mm. lot of American Christianity, especially in worship leading. Mm. And, I, and I'm not even talking about styles. That's, that's a totally neutral thing in, in, yep. in my book is whether you go traditional, modern, mm. or Scandinavian death metal. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> as, long right, as, it, right. as long as it's leading your congregation to God yeah. and maybe not giving them heart attacks. So yeah. the Scandinavian death metal thing might not be good for, you know, congregations mm. with pacemakers and stuff like right, that. Right, 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 right. <laughs> but... But but we have to root our worship in what the Bible says. Yeah. Because that's how God communicates with us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, worship is such an, a beautiful thing, isn't it? Because there is this spiritual, supernatural element to it. Oh, yeah. I mean, like even what I said we talked about on Sunday, the Spirit of God bearing witness to our renewed spirit that we are His children. And mm-hmm. by that we cry, Abba, Father. And, and in worship, that is, that is at least part of the cry, isn't it? Is we're crying yeah. out to our Father like little children uh, reaching for Him and longing for Him. And so uh, there is this supernatural element. Jesus tells the woman at the well, um, you know, true worshipers will worship in spirit. And then He says, and in truth. Right. So there, there is, you know, this el- all, the other element to worship is that we're not, worship is not subjective. Mm-hmm. Right. That's why the lyrics matter. There, there is a, a subjective experience, but it's about objective truth. That's exactly right. Because I could come to worship and, you know, we could sing whatever and it, it could be saying all kinds of crazy things about God, but music moves me emotionally. Yeah. Music moves me in a in a very tangible way, and I could think that I'm worshiping mm-hmm. because I feel something. Yeah, but that's that. I could be, you know, I could be doing anything but worshiping. Right. Uh, I could be even doing something heretical. Yeah, you, yeah. You could be actually blaspheming at that. Exactly, point. and feel really good about it because mm-hmm. the music's <laughs> so daggum good. So that's a southern word for those of you that aren't from the south. But I use it a lot when I'm coaching baseball <laughs> but, to keep from cussing at people. <laughs> but there has there has got to be truth, and you're right, Cody. I mean, the Bible does have some things to say about methodology. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this before. It talks about clapping. It talks about shouting. It talks about playing instruments to the Lord. Um, There's even texts that we could point to that uh, show us that it's appropriate to bow, to kneel, to stand, to lift our hands. You know, there's all of those kinds of, you know, physical things are mentioned in Scripture. Um, But ultimately, I think what matters most is that we're dependent on the Spirit and that we are singing and and celebrating and cherishing biblical truth, God's self-revelation in Scripture, that we are focused on who He is, and we know, and that's not subjective. That's we we might use poetical language mm-hmm. to describe it, yep. but that poetical language, that the pictures that it those lyrics paint, best be rooted 
yep. in biblical yep. truths. Otherwise, we're not worshiping at all. Exactly. So before we get to our listener questions, uh, all seven days, does God run out of patience? How do we bridge the gap between understanding and application of Scripture? How do I deal with my kids who have left the faith? And does God forget our sin? Join the discussion on all these topics and more on the All 7 Days podcast. Stan, who is my dad, by the way, and Trevor, take your questions and answer them from the perspective of a couple of church members just having a conversation about spiritual matters. Subscribe to the All 7 Days podcast today. And some of you some of you listeners from the Doxology podcast have, and that's awesome. Uh, subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, etc., and hit up all7days.com. And also now about once a month featuring one yeah. Bradley Cox yeah. and Padres in town next week and speaking at Res. Oh and, man, I'm so excited. By the time this comes out, this it'll have already happened. Yeah, but you can go but. to the little plug here. Um, you can go to the Res Faith podcast, uh, Resurrection Church podcast, uh, which is on iTunes. And you can hear Cody's dad's uh, message that will be preached this coming Sunday, probably out... Um, within a week or so um, of uh, after this coming Sunday. Um, so uh, check that out when you get a chance. Yep. Um, so listener questions. We actually have a couple from some res people this week, okay. <clears throat> which is awesome. Uh, but first, Tom Dugan asks, what is the state of man's will under the curse of sin? My immediate reaction is depraved, you miserable wretch. <laughs> Good Lord. I mean, uh, there's there's some pretty big questions in these. So can we do fun. six podcasts on that one? Yeah, right. Right. Uh, right. Um, the state of man's will when he is unregenerate. Is, is that the question? Yes. Yeah. Well, I think I think Paul is I'll just do something very, very concise here. I think Paul is clear that the unregenerate person is under the authority and dominion of sin. Uh, they are, in, in even what I talked about Sunday, when Paul says those who are in the spirit are no longer debtors to the flesh, no longer obligated to the flesh. And we understand that when Paul talks about in the flesh, he's really talking about living a purely human life. Right. An only natural life, which we know from Romans chapter 5, is life in Adam. That's the unregenerate life. We're, and so the unregenerate person is bound to that kind of life. Mm -hmm. Now, what you do with the will there, okay, uh, my take on that is my will, every, every part of me is bound up in yep. life in Adam. Mm-hmm. Right, I have no ability to free myself. That, that includes your thoughts. That's right. Your actions. You know, after everything after church on Sunday, we had all these guys come down, uh, repenting and confessing from lust and sexual sin with pornography. Uh, I was talking with a guy after the service mm -hmm. who has not long been saved. Right. He is. I mean, he is really pretty new in the Lord. He's got tons of questions. Mm -hmm. um, but he said, you know, what resonated with him so much from Sunday was he said, before I came to Christ, I looked at porn all the time. And he said, mm. I did not feel one ounce of guilt about it. Yeah. He said, I thought it was perfectly normal. He said, but now I see. Yeah. Now I see. And so now his will has changed. Mm -hmm. His will, and I'm gonna, I'm kind of pointing towards Jonathan Edwards here. His will is free. Mm -hmm. You know, it's and actually free. It's actually free now. It's free from the bondage to sin. And so, 
uh, what was that guy's name? Tom. Tom. So Tom, you know, there's a lot more to say there. If you if you want to discuss that some more, um, Cody will give you my email address or something, and we can certainly talk about it. But that's that's what I would say. The unregenerate person is bound to a life of sin, and their will is tied up in that. Yeah. So next question from Zach Walkton. Uh, Zach. I think... I think he was being facetious, but we're going to answer it anyway. Oh, Lord. So here we go. Okay. Are Christian bands allowed to use the F word? <laughs> oh, my Lord. <laughs> really, Zach? <laughs> I mean, uh, King's Kaleidoscope thinks to think so, right? <laughs> I haven't listened to them enough. Do they use them? Uh, they, they, do have, they do have a song that he wrote in the middle of, of a panic attack. And uh, let me look up the lyrics, and I will I will censor them. Okay. So, John, edit this. So, this is from King's Kaleidoscope's uh, song, A Prayer. Um, so, the uh, first verse, do-do-do, uh, will I fall or will I misstep? Will mm. I call you with my last breath? Will you be there for me after... Will I waste inside the silence where the fear is violent? (laughs) Wicked sinner thrown to lions with no hope on the horizon. Uh, And then it kind of repeats that verse. And then it kind of gets into a a Jesus, where are you several times? Mm. And then the tone of the song picks up. You go from a minor to a major. And it says, I'm right beside you. I feel what you feel. And I'm here to hold you when death is too real. You know, I died too. I was terrified. I gave myself for you and was crucified because I love you. Uh, uh. And uh, so I think, at least in in my own theory of how languages work, it's ultimately, and I could be wrong about this, but it's ultimately less about the exact word you say and more about what you're trying to convey. I didn't mean to make that rhyme, <laughs> but it's, it's more about how I use them because I've had really sanctified quote unquote language used to tear me down. And then I've had other guys, you know, that I'm, I'm tight with call me out on my quote unquote crap. <laughs> right. And, and that end up pulling me to repentance. Yeah. Um, so I'm not, I, I wouldn't advocate using it in a worship service by any means. Yeah. Uh, just, for the fact that you're going to make people stumble. Yeah. Like people aren't going to get past that. Yeah. Uh, but if you're in a, if you have a, if you know your audience, mm-hmm. you know, because there, there would be a time 40 years ago when mm-hmm. us saying crap on a podcast wouldn't fly. That's true. You know? So there's a cultural element there. Yeah, and here's, I don't want to oversimplify this, but this is what I've been trying to train my children about mm-hmm. this of late because they're coming to the age now where, we're not totally shielding them from movies um, that would include mm-hmm. what some people might call soft cussing. Yeah, or and, something. and your son's in middle school. My so. son's in middle school. <laughs> he hears it all the time. So we're, I'm trying to teach them like how to think well about this because yeah. the you know when I was growing up, it was just these words are cuss words, and if you say them, God's going to be mad at you, and you might go to hell. Right. You know, and that that is not right thinking mm-hmm. because I think that there are. Um, I want to be careful here. I think there are some contexts where, like you mentioned, a brother calling you out on your crap, right? <laughs> and sometimes, you know, 
this is what I think, and this is what I've been telling my kids about cussing. I'm just going to say it this way is that I think we need to be careful with all language Mm -hmm. that we do not trivialize or diminish serious issues. Mm -hmm. What what I, I, my daughter who's 10 asked me about the word hell Mm. and people that use that in, you know, in a, you know, vulgar sense. And I said, baby, hell is a very serious and terrible thing. Yep. And to use it in a flippant way is to trivialize. I didn't use the word trivialize. I think I used the word, um, you know, I can't remember what word I used, but I, I, I said it's to trivialize something very, very serious and very, very terrible. Um, and, you know, when the, the F word is used, well, there's a, there's a lot of connotations with that, mm-hmm. right? I mean, sure. you could be, um, you know, I mean, interestingly enough, I was doing a, uh, how are we doing on time? We're all right. We're all right. I was doing a, a marriage conference at a church in Jamaica and I did a Q and a afterwards. Uh, and you know, one of the, if you, if you have children listen to this podcast, maybe turn it off now. Here's but your fair warning. Here's your fair warning. But I had a, a lady ask me in front of this whole group of couples. Oh boy. If it was okay for her to use the F word in the bedroom. Mm. And, you know, like in one sense, you could kind of go, okay, well, this is in the marriage bed. Mm-hmm. And, but at the same time, you got to be careful with that, I think, because you're, you're, you're trivializing, you're treating, you know, with a level of vulgarity, something God intends to be very pure and holy and mm-hmm. sanctified. Yeah. It doesn't mean that we, you know, you know, in the marriage bed, that is to be enjoyed between a husband and wife fully. I, I'm, I'm totally on board with that. But, you know, you, you, when you trivialize things that really matter, uh, I think you're, I think you're crossing a line there and you're not being, you're certainly not being helpful. And so I would just, I'd have to see the song and I'd have to see the lyrics, Sure, but it's hard for me to imagine that being mm-hmm. really helpful. Right. And it, it like, well, yeah, never mind. <laughs> we'll just move on to the next one. Move on. Uh, last one. We had a, we had a couple of questions that were just going to be way too big to answer in this segment. So, uh, last one from Joel Stevens. Also. Hey Joel. Uh, how are we supposed to live as a universal Christian family? Are we supposed to gather publicly and lift up the spirit and encourage non-believers to come to faith? I don't often hear sermons about gathering with other churches in the name of the Lord. So kind of what we do with Halloween hoopla. Uh, So he's asking about churches gathering with other churches. Sure. Yeah. And cooperating and doing other kinds of stuff. Yeah. You know, Joel, I think, um, first of all, I would say it, it, it's sad to me. It's sad to me that it doesn't happen more often than it does. Mm-hmm. Like I, we, we have done one joint service with the church at Greer station, which yep. is very close to us. And we do a, a community event with them every year called Halloween Hoopla. Uh, and we have a very good relationship with them. And But our, our joint worship service with them, which was not this past Halloween, but the one before, yep. was so good. I, I just, it really was. I, yeah. I loved it. I and thought you, it was, you co-preached the we sermon. We co-preached, and, and there was just something really sweet about that. And I think... Um, 
when it's sad that that happens so rarely. Um, and you know, where we live in the Bible Belt, where there's churches on every corner, churches get very competitive. They get very territorial. You know, I think a lot of those things are barriers to that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in some senses, there are churches and settings where it wouldn't be appropriate to worship together because there are enough differences, maybe theologically, yeah, that would make it difficult for us to have a unified worship service. Mm-hmm. But aside from that, um, I wish it happened more, Joel. I think that... Um, you know, I, I, I've never thought about preaching a sermon on that necessarily, um, but I do think that one of the things the church lacks today that we see in Scripture was that there was a connectedness and a unity among the the very. I mean, when you think about the Macedonians, for example, mm-hmm. and their passionate generosity yeah. to help the fellow believers in Jerusalem, <clears throat> um, that that's just a, an incredibly convicting and challenging example. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of good points there. Um, I think of stuff like together for the gospel Yeah, where you got Baptists and Presbyterians and whoever getting together, they're like, we have this in common. We're going to talk about it and it's going to be awesome. And sometimes, sometimes churches with, you know, pretty significant theological differences could come together like around Baptists their Baptists and Presbyterians, Baptists and Presbyterians, That's, massive yeah. differences there. But we worship Jesus. We Jesus is right. the focus for us. And so right. we're going to come and lift him up and and we're going to live in scripture and pray, maybe come to the Lord's table. I think that's just right. really sweet when that but, happens. But you also made a very good point of there are some people that we're just we're just not. Right. Um, you know, some you know, to you know, pick out someone who we could definitively say is not a Christian is the oneness Pentecostals. That's right. They claim the name Jesus, but they deny the Trinity. That's right. Uh, we probably wouldn't do something with uh, the people who would do something like the send, which, which we talked about recently. That's right. That's right. Uh, because there's the differences are big enough that we don't want to normalize that. That's right. Uh, which I actually just read a blog um, from Holly Pivick, who does a lot of new apostolic reformation stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, where she um, she was talking about, and, and this isn't me saying, hey, don't go see the movie Unplanned. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a big deal culturally right now with the abortion debate and stuff. Like we were even like what we were talking about this episode. Um, but, you know, Abby Johnson's Roman Catholic, like everybody kind of knows that already. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the pastors of Bethel makes an appearance in that movie. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of uh, Bethel byproducts who served as producers in this movie and stuff like that. So, so her concern was normalizing uh, groups such as Bethel and mm-hmm. those that kind of error and mm-hmm. etc. Um, there, there is the, the, it's a complicated thing, or at least it can be, and maybe it oh, yeah. shouldn't be in some cases, and it should be in others. And I think, you know, um, I think the main thing, like I, I would not. I would not gather with a church that is word of faith or right. preaches the prosperity gospel because I think that's another gospel. I'm not saying that there aren't Christians and saved people in those churches, but um, there's just, you know, there are things that are going to be promoted, proclaimed, heralded that I just think are anti-biblical and would be harmful yeah. to the yeah. congregation that I'm called to mm-hmm. shepherd, right? Like there's a real sense of responsibility mm-hmm. that it's like, you know, you know, people at res know your dad coming to speak mm-hmm. this Sunday. Yep. That's a big deal. 
Yeah, we we don't invite. Other I people don't give very the often. pulpit to people, right? I mean, I and I. It's not because I think I'm all that in a bag of chips, but I'm just. I am that mm-hmm. careful with who stands up behind a microphone and teaches, mm-hmm. and what the people that I'm called to shepherd are learning. It's not you know I'm not trying to be like one of those helicopter parents over my church and to just you know protect the church from everything, but at the same time. You know, I'm not going to give the microphone to someone who's going to come and teach something that's not biblical. We're, um, we're even careful with who we give a microphone to leading worship at, you know, like there's, there's a difference between being a vocalist and then being someone who leads a prayer exactly, or does like the exhortation of the call to worship. Um, right. One other thing I think we should note is we have a good relationship with the church at Greer Station. Very good. So pastors should have relationships with other pastors that mm-hmm. then end up in your churches cooperating. And our, like Keith and I, Pastor Keith and I have spent hours um, over lunch, over coffee, uh, in prayer with the elders at the church at Greer Station, and so we know where they're coming from. We know mm-hmm. that they are, they are solid in terms of their you know their absolute commitment to the authority of Scripture um, and sound doctrine. And mm-hmm. so um, I think Joel, the, the the point is it 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 is absolutely good and worthy thing for churches to come together, multiple churches, and worship together. I think the what what has to happen in order to make that happen is that the elders of churches, the pastors of churches, need to commit themselves first to spending time together, getting to know one another, and then letting those joint gatherings for worship kind of flow from there. Uh, but it's a great point that he's bringing up. Great question. There is one faith, one hope, and one baptism, one God and Father of all. There is one church, one body, one life in the Spirit now given so freely to all. All right. Uh, recommended stuff, and let's wrap this thing up. Um, I, I was just going to recommend, there's a really good blog on um, Desiring God from, or and that's not a blog, I think it's an Ask Pastor John on cussing. Mm-hmm. Um, might be some moms and dads out there that want some helpful tips about talking to your children. And just also thinking, you know, you, you guys know we're big fans of Piper. But Piper always does a good job of rooting these very practical questions in text mm-hmm. and rooting his thinking in texts. And so um, I would recommend that. I think it's just called On Cussing is awesome. the name of the blog. Uh, my That's recommended crazy. is How to Answer the Fool, uh, which is a documentary by Seitan Bruggenkate, who we uh, mentioned earlier, it is now available on YouTube for free. It's about an hour and a half. He goes through the the presuppositional apologetic approach to uh, cut directly to gospel proclamation, and uh, you can you can get under some people's skin with it <laughs> hmm. um, because part of uh, part of the documentary shows him saying you know to an atheist in a in a on a TV debate you know uh, could you be wrong about everything hmm. and if you're an atheist. You ultimately have to admit that, yes, I could be wrong about everything because everything that I know depends on my senses. Mm. And so then every time that guy said anything, it was, well, you could be wrong about that, right? Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Because you could be wrong about everything. So you've given (laughs) up knowledge. I haven't given up knowledge, therefore. And they actually ended up kicking him off of the TV show (laughs) in the middle of it. (laughs) That's fantastic. And uh, so it's, it's it's a really good.
good documentary. Uh, I, I very highly recommend it. Uh, so make sure you follow us and comment on Facebook and Instagram. You can subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. You can support us at anchor.fm and donate money to help us, you know, buy better mics and all that kind of, you know, advertising, all that kind of stuff. And as stated previously, the first five people who pledge to donate $10 a month for a year get a Piper Drive version 2, which is $30 off of Piper Drive version 2. So go grab that thing. Uh, you can also email us at westminstereffects at gmail.com. And I forgot to write down what the outro is. It's going to be some kind of demo, though. So thanks for listening. Hey everyone, today we're going to talk about The Puritan from Westminster FX. The Puritan's inspired by a cranked AC style amp. This pedal has good mid-range and it's great for those lead lines. It stacks really well. It can be used as a third or even a fourth stage overdrive distortion. This pedal's not transparent at all. You're really going to like it. Puritan has three controls, a gain, a volume, and a tone. So let's back off the gain, turn up the volume, and check this out. So now let's put the pedal through its paces. Let's turn the gain up, turn the tone up, and back off the volume just a bit. <laughs> 